What's up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. Sat down with our good friend Matt Corallo, most tenured guest on this podcast. I think that's safe to say at this point. Uh, yeah, we had a really good conversation, a good history lesson, a good uh, a warning from Matt. Not a warning, but a hey, let's pay attention to this. Let's be careful with the precedents we set with how we upgrade Bitcoin and change consensus rules. Uh, so we get into the history of uh, BIP 148, BIP 91, and talk a little bit about how the conversation around activating Taproot is going currently. We also talk about uh, the Lightning Development Kit that Matt is working on at Square Crypto. Always enjoy talking to Matt. I always learn. Somebody who thinks deeply about Bitcoin has a very adversarial mindset. Somebody we're lucky to have working on the protocol. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App's helping you stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats, if you so please. We're saying sats, 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 sats. The sats are the standard, okay, freaks? There's 100 million sats in one Bitcoin. You don't have to buy a whole Bitcoin and maybe seem expensive. Oh my God, Bitcoin's at... Looking at Clark's dashboard, $45,250 is way too expensive. I can't afford a whole Bitcoin. Neither can I right now. I wish I could. I wish I had 42250 or excuse me, 45250 to throw at a coin right now. I can't do it either. You can stack sats. You can buy a, f- you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, but that sounds pretty cheesy. We're stacking whole sats. You can buy as little as $1 via the cash app. You don't have to get one whole Bitcoin at the time. Okay, you, you go to Cash App, you stack sats, you can DCA in the sats. You set it and forget it. You can buy daily, weekly, bi-weekly, the set dollar amount, the cuck buck amount. You want to buy $50 a day? Set it and forget it in the Cash App. You want to buy $5 a day? Set it and forget it in the Cash App. It's making this possible. On top of that, they have their boost program. Sometimes it allows you to get sats back when you shop at a merchant that accepts Visa. Cash App may even be your bank account. They're offering account numbers and routing numbers to you freaks if you want to get your paychecks direct deposited into the app so you can stack sats even quicker. You can do that now. It's pretty dope. I hear they're about to roll out some really cool functionalities for their Bitcoin product too. Little birdie told me. So be on the lookout for that. Make sure you use the code stacking sats when you download the cash app. That's S T A C K I N G S A T S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. Download the cash app. If you're stacking sats in the cash app, be aware of the withdrawal limits. Make sure you're, you're sweeping your sats out of the app uh, so you don't get any of them stuck on there. A little birdie told me they're working on that too, but for the time being, be conscious of of the limits, your withdrawal limits. You don't want to get your sats stuck on the app. You want to take custody of your of your sats. It's the revolution we're being a part of. Enjoy this episode with Matt. Always enjoy sitting down with Matt Corallo, the blue Matt. Take care. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. 
If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Sitting down with a man who needs no introduction on this podcast. I think you've been on four times already. I think this is number five, Matt. And you're worried about the future of Bitcoin. What the hell's going on? You reached out to me last week. You're scaring the shit out of me. Why are you worried? Yeah, so I think, so I reached out. I, I think, you know, there's the, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, but, the, you know, I, I think the Bitcoin community broadly right now is kind of selectively misremembering events that happened only a few years ago now um, and, and taking conclusions from it that are not entirely justified, you know? Um, so basically, uh, I mean, we can get into it in, in depth, but I think the, the block size wars had, had an effect on a lot of people and there were two sides that both had a story to tell and one side got largely pushed out of Bitcoin. You know, a lot of those people on quote unquote, the losing side have moved on from Bitcoin and are doing mini cryptocurrency exchanges or just not working in cryptocurrency anymore. And that left uh, a side that gets to write their own history. And I think there's some, some facts that have been left out. And more importantly, you know, it, it impacts the way people see Bitcoin's future and how Bitcoin should exist going forward. And that worries me. I don't really care if history got rewritten. I care if it, results in a Bitcoin that's fundamentally less safe. Okay. So this all revolves around the user activated soft fork and that mechanism to activate certain upgrades, whether it be Segwit or potentially Schnorr and Taproot on the horizon. And so yeah, let's jump into, I guess the, 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 the fine details of what went on, uh, how a user activated soft fork works and why you believe it should be uh, as a nuclear option, the correct term? Yeah, maybe. Um, so I guess, you know, if we, you know, we want to dig into it, we have to go back and, and revisit the history. You know, we have to go back and, and remember exactly kind of what happened and, and more importantly, what didn't happen, right? So I, I used to, most of you listeners were around a few years ago or at least uh, were you know, pay, who have since learned what the history of, of Segwit2x and all these other, uh, the activation of Segwit, uh, the history there. But it, it bears revisiting and, and maybe ensuring that everyone's on the same page and that there's, there's more kind of a more complete history that people are aware of. Uh, so as hopefully most of your users know, this, this Segwit, uh, there was a large debate within the Bitcoin community broadly whether uh, exchanges, large industry players, miners, uh, users, developers, number of different crowds um, around how Bitcoin should scale. You know, whether the block size should just be increased ad infinitum, uh, whether the block size should completely be untouched, whether, uh, I mean, yeah, it all, it all hovered around the block size largely. Um, there were a number of technical issues with just blindly increasing the block size which after some time led to the proposal of SegWit. Right? SegWit's kind of a nifty little trick to increase the block size somewhat, 
while also solving a number of the technical issues that prevented increasing the block size previously, right? So the, the there were potential denial of service issues with just blindly increasing the block size that SegWit solved. Um, and so it was this nifty little trick that that came out of uh, Peter Willa and uh, Luke Jr. Luke Dash Jr. Um, designed it for Bitcoin and proposed that as a standalone solver. That's the beginning of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Setting the what state. happened over the next year after that was all out Bitcoin civil war. Um, that had already kind of been building, but it reached a fever pitch um, throughout the course of the one year activation timeline, right? So SegWit and several prior softworks prior to it generally had uh, a theory of, of softwork activation that was went something like this, right? So developers uh, work on the softwork, design it and propose it uh, to the community broadly in the form of both a BIP and code and that code eventually hopefully takes the form of a, a Bitcoin core release, right? So this, this, in effect, is a formal proposal to the community for a new software. Then, hopefully the community adopts it, upgrades to it, is happy with it. By the time it's kind of out there, hopefully it, it has really strong consensus behind it. And as a final step, because softworks, uh, you want to make sure that the network stays together kind of on one chain, um, you have miners signal when they're ready and when they are in fact enforcing rules, right? So that, if you don't have that, right? You can have the, the chain split, right? You have some miners who are enforcing or you have maybe the majority of miners or a good chunk of miners who aren't enforcing the rules. The chain can go off in one direction that is invalid to a number of nodes. And suddenly you're gonna have two chains depending on who you ask and whether nodes have upgraded and whatnot. And that's a mess. You don't want that. That's just, it's just, not fun, you end up with double spend uh, potential on some people who might have forgotten to upgrade a node or whatever, and, and no one wants that. So ideally you have miners say, yes, I'm ready, I've upgraded. And once you reach some threshold, in the case of SegWit and a number of other proposals, it's been 95%, um, then the change locks in and activates and everything goes forward. So SegWit kind of took place over the course of a year uh, at the end of, you know, came out as a proposal and a Bitcoin core release. At the end of a year, it would have kind of timed out and then presumably some other activation method would have been tried. Um, SegWit kind of languished and there's, depends on who you ask for exactly why it, miners had some dubious incentives around some uh, optimizations they were using that were patented and then maybe a little, you know, they weren't very upfront about it. Um, and other reasons to block it. And, and, and largely there was a contingent within the community that might've been happy with SegWit, but viewed it as insufficient, right? That the block size needed to be increased hugely and SegWit represented some small multiple somewhere between 1.5 and 2X, um, which is still a pretty substantial increase, but uh, they wanted you know, a significantly higher multiple and that SegWit while it might have been fine on its own, was not sufficient and thus just sh simply shouldn't happen. Um, so long story short, this kind of minor readiness signaling that was intended to kind of just prevent the network from splitting into a million pieces was abused to prevent SegWit from activating. Um, this is, during this time period. This is version BIPs 
version bit signaling via bit eight, correct? Uh, bit nine, bit, I think. I think bit eight is the kind of bit nine with a few fixes in it, um, the newer one. But yeah, bit nine. Um, so then during this time period, a number of companies got together in secret and decided that they were going to decide Bitcoin's consensus for us all. Um, signed what was then became the, the New York Agreement, um, led by DCG and why a number of Bitcoiners still hate DCG, um, and declared unilaterally that Bitcoin was going to activate SegWit and in addition, a hard fork, which further doubles the block size on top of SegWit, right? so SegWit's already kind of 1.5 to 2x, and then we're gonna double it again and get something around you know, two to four x. Um, and that this was gonna activate on some, I forget the exact timeline, but it was something completely nonsense. I mean, it was like, we're gonna upgrade the entire Bitcoin network and everyone's gonna upgrade their node in like three months, let's go. Um, so, I mean, it was obviously kind of technically, you know, the, the let's increase the block size more thing, like or whatever, like let's do it all in three months is like obviously brain dead, right? Um, but more importantly, Segwit2x represented a small group of people coming together and deciding Bitcoin's rules. And that's, I think, fundamentally my issue with anything around Bitcoin is, with anything around consensus changes, is that we as a community need to have a higher bar, right? We need to have a very high bar for how changes get made. And if in the end you have some small group of people who are allowed to just blindly upgrade the rules, you know, decide in a private meeting, invite only what the rules are, then Bitcoin has failed, right? Because this, you know, private meeting is going to decide that you have to do KYC or private meeting is going to decide that, you know, it's okay if not everyone can run a node and, and it could be prohibitively expensive to run a node or private meeting is going to, you know, there are a number of things that just would be unacceptable that would be trivial to do if you are able to change the rules by small committees. Anyway, so that was New York Agreement, Segwit2x. Uh, community broadly was up in arms. Uh, developer community was up in arms. Um, was yeah, universally up in arms, right? There were, there were no objections within the developer community to uh, condemning Segwit2x and, and um, the New York Agreement. But so communities up in arms, there's this group of industry players who are saying like, we're just gonna do it. It doesn't matter what you say, stupid Bitcoin users, uh, it's just gonna happen, suck it up. Um, several exchanges listed, I mean, because Segwit2x was a hard fork, it was fundamentally going to be a different token, right? You could, if you had sufficient hash power on both sides, you could always have two tokens. You could always trade the old one for the new one and vice versa. Um, and so, of course, several exchanges just listed both uh, and listed a futures market. Uh, so Bit, uh, Bitfinex listed a futures market that was relatively deep. And Bitmex uh, is only a futures market, but they declared that the, the futures were going to be uh, only non-hard forked Bitcoin, Bitcoin as it exists today and as it existed at the time, not the Segwit2x Bitcoin. Uh, and the futures market told a very different story from the the confidence of the business community, they traded Segwit2x tokens traded uh, something around 20, 30%, uh, sometimes as low as 10% of Bitcoin. And you can see this both on uh, Bitfinex's direct trading of the two tokens, which uh, showed 
that percentage. And you could also see it just in the discount on the futures on BitMEX. I mean, you had like billion dollar daily volumes on BitMEX showing exactly what these uh, hard fork tokens were. So it was a pretty good indicator that, that the market was not a fan of the Segwit2x idea. Then, so, okay, now you have like this very vocal Bitcoin community on Twitter, developer community. Uh, you have a very uh, confident business community, uh, several key businesses, not, not obviously every cryptocurrency business, but several key businesses in the cryptocurrency space, Coinbase, um, it was led largely by BitGo, a number of others, number of mining, large mining pools. Um, and so they're both kind of declaring, we're going ahead with our vision. And this would have resulted in, in two separate Bitcoins or two separate currencies fighting over who gets the term Bitcoin. Uh, and, and as you might imagine, that would, would be a mess and that would destroy the value of Bitcoin for, for basically everyone. Well, if they were successful in writing a good code, right? Because actually we came to find that they were off by one block and it wouldn't have actually successfully right, hard for it. Their, their software didn't actually function. Um, <laughs> this is what happens when the entire developer community thinks this is a terrible idea. They can't hire someone who has a deep understanding of the code base because they all don't want to work for you. But, uh, okay, so you have these like two very vocal factions. They're both kind of screaming that they're going ahead and both are kind of, Maybe they won't admit it publicly, but very well aware that if they both go ahead, the whole thing catches fire and any kind of legitimacy that Bitcoin had in the financial world gone because now you have two different people claiming to be Bitcoin and they're just like, why in the hell would anyone care? And, and a number of critics who have always suggested that Bitcoin has no value because anyone can create a new cryptocurrency and thus there is no scarcity, poor argument, but would have actually been true had this come to pass. Um, I think a big reason why it didn't come to pass is because everyone understood that their entire value would be gone. Um, and that's pretty strong incentive, if nothing else. So how do two competing factions who both have very different visions and both think the other is acting in bad faith come together and protect the value of Bitcoin and prevent it from splintering into five different or two different things, but presumably later having more issues. The very loud Twitter community with a few uh, folks who were very, you know, screw big business, blah, 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 but notably only one or two folks who ever contributed materially to Bitcoin Core um, decided that they were going to do what they was then termed a user activated software. So before this was in BIP 148, but before BIP 148 and, and UASF, we would have just termed it a flag day software. Um, but basically it's just a change where on a certain day, a change activates, period. That's you, you have some software, the software says on this date, the consensus rules are gonna change to be X, whatever X is. Uh, in this case, X was if your block does not uh, signal readiness for SegWit and isn't uh, contributing to turning SegWit on, we're just going to ignore it and consider that block invalid. That was one group, uh, was very vocal. So now you have two proposed changes in addition to original Bitcoin. You have the software that's led by a bunch of users on Twitter who are saying, we're gonna fork off any blocks that, that don't signal for SegWit and uh, 
maybe find our own hash power or something, but we're going to go off on our own way and have our own chain. And then you have this kind of business community that's saying we're going to go hard fork and we're going to have our own, our own chain. And then you have kind of people in the middle who are still just running the software that they downloaded two weeks ago and kind of are a little confused maybe. <laughs> and so now suddenly you have Bitcoin careening towards three different tokens. What happens next depends on who you ask. And I think this is really the kind of Wait, key issue. Can we take a step back before we get into the key issue? Did the Twitter users propose the user activated soft fork or like where does Shall and Fry like play it? Right. So it was, it was one anonymous developer who wrote Dip 148. Um, I, I don't believe their actual name or identity has ever been revealed. There's various speculation about it. Um, who posted the BIP and posted some code for it and provided binaries and a bunch of people downloaded it. Um, the, the alias Shaolin Fry had never contributed to Bitcoin Core, never did anything. I was never used for anything else. That alias existed only to post BIP, became BIP 148 and this code. Um, and they were obviously also had a relatively active Twitter account, but um, yeah, so that, that's, that's where that code came from. Just to clarify for the freaks out there, maybe no. Yeah. Um, great. So now we have these kind of, so if you ask someone who was staunchly in favor of, of BIP 148 and UASF, their view is that UASF activated, BIP 148 was enforced. And on that day, on the, the day of, of BIP 148, the no blocks did not signal for SegWit and thus no blocks were ever forked off and the kind of consensus rules of BIP 148 still remained on the same chain with the rest of Bitcoin and that, that soft fork was enforced and, and SegWit activated and happily ever after. It's obviously a little wrong because to my, my, not to my knowledge, no pool or materially sized transactor ever ran that code. Um, you know, a lot of Twitter users were running it. There was kind of a campaign to get people to spin up UASF enforcing nodes. Um, but just spinning up a node, as, as we know, doesn't really have much impact on anything. Otherwise, chain analysis would be in charge of the consensus rules because <laughs> they certainly have a lot of nodes. Um, but, but what really matters is just people using a node to transact, right? Saying like, I will only accept your transaction in Bitcoin if my node thinks that the rules of the network have been enforced and that transaction meets all the rules of the network, including is included in a block that meets the rules of the network. Um, but, uh, you know, some, some individuals presumably who did transact ran that code, but, you know, no large businesses, no large, no people accepting large volume payments, uh, no mining pools, and presumably not even very much in terms of total transaction volume of individuals ran on it. You know, I, I certainly never ran it and, and I transact some on Bitcoin Core. So what really did happen and, and why was that, why was it that all the blocks suddenly started signaling for SegWit on that day? And that's, that's where it gets, you know, it gets complicated and, and it's kind of unclear, right? There's some indication that the very um, confident Twitter users who were who were saying we're running UASF whether you like it or not scared uh, several 
large players in the, the mining pool space. Uh, specifically, there was some there were rumors going around that Jihan was scared by it. Um, rumor and, and and it's not unreasonable, right? You have people who are obviously very ideological and believe very strongly in Bitcoin and are, are like telling NYA to go screw themselves, saying that they're going to run the software and they're going to fork Bitcoin into another coin and either you get on board or not. And it is it is absolutely the case that both those users and uh, everyone else, like everyone loses out if Bitcoin forks, right? You just have two tokens and that's just, it's just a mess. Every possible way it's a mess. There was a proposal which uh, several kind of New York agreement signatories like with 2X supporter supporting businesses and uh, mining pools kind of got behind called BIP, I believe it was BIP91, I may be wrong. Uh, I, yeah, I remember BIP 91. Remember BIP 148, BIP 90, and BIP 91 being, being crucial during this time. So there was BIP 91, which said the Segwit2x thing, fine, 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 whatever. Segwit2x, what we're going to do is we're going to do Segwit2x that you're going to signal readiness for Segwit uh, by the date of the UASF activation timeline. And that signaling is going to signal support for both segwit and a hard fork and thus the segwit 2x people should go ahead and signal for segwit uh signal readiness and we should activate segwit in that way if you ask some large businesses that is probably what they would have told you at the time that they were signaling for um and there, there was, was like, never there were sites tracking the percentage too i remember like a circuit there was like a circular right like right age, and, um, and exactly there was like. right and there was a very strong pull bitmain exerted a lot of influence on their customers um and and basically the entire bitcoin industry in china because a large part of it was was mining related uh basically they would tell people if you get on board and do what you know we say and use our pool or, or use a pool that we bless then you'll get the next generation hardware sooner and uh, for a cheaper price and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, basically once Bitmain came around, they were, they were the kind of big blocker. Um, once they came around, all the other dominoes fell within a week, right? Um, so, so that's largely what happened. Um, there was never, I think notably, so, you know, the, the kind of UASF activated and we won and like we showed them uh, via the free market thing. I, I, it's a little disingenuous, right? Because like clearly the free market and, and these very large volume futures trading and options trading um, or futures trading and, and, and this kind of fork token trading on, on Bitfinex showed very clearly that the Segwit2x New York agreement token was, was dead in the water, right? It, it had... 10% of the value of Bitcoin or 20 or 30, depending on when you looked, um, but it was a small fraction of, of the value of Bitcoin and it was dead. There was never any futures trading for what would have happened had the UASF token gone off in one direction and, and classic Bitcoin gone off in the other direction, which was totally a possibility, right? The, the UASF thing, the, the code for it was released very, very quickly before the timeline um, because of the time crunch, basically Segway was about to time out and they wanted to, to make sure that it activated before Segwit timed out, 
so they released it and it was kind of going to turn on, I think within like a month or two, um, or maybe even within a few weeks. Uh, and so, you know, there, there was no, no one spent the time to kind of figure it out on paper and then give the markets a voice. Um, no one really had time to audit the code. Uh, so not, no one materially was kind of risking their business on it or kind of accepting really large volume payments on it and switching out to it. Um, and it, it, and there were a number of issues in the code, depending on which case you looked at. I mean, just like the Bitcoin, one Bitcoin node forking off from the rest of the network and finding other peers to connect to that are on its fork is like not a solved problem in the code base at all, because hopefully it should never happen. Um, or it definitely wasn't at the time. And so it's very unclear whether you could say that this UASF BIP 148 movement ever activated. You can absolutely say it had an impact and it probably, if you believe rumors, who knows, had some impact on Jihan and Bitmain and actually scared some people uh, into like kind of allowing SegWit to activate um, and into signaling. But had they decided not to do that, it seems unlikely that it would have, I mean, it, it had basically no hash rate behind it, right? So somebody needed to step up and if it was going to be a thing, somebody needed to step up and invest a very large sum of money to buy miners, you know, buy offer existing miners to buy their token, to buy the kind of Bitcoin UASF tokens had Bitcoin forked. Um, and it, it's unclear that there was that kind of money behind it, right? And so it's, you see a lot of people running around saying like, yeah, UASF is great, it works, we've, we've done it before, it activated, that's how we activated SegWit. And the story is 10x more complicated than that. And it's kind of unclear exactly, you know, obviously at the end of the day, what, what the only thing you can say for certain is Bitcoin users, Bitcoin mining pools, Bitcoin miners, Bitcoin businesses, all understood that if Bitcoin forked into multiple tokens, that would be very, very bad for their investment. Then they took action to make sure that that didn't happen. You can't really say anything more than that. You can't say that kind of one thing was the thing that activated any more than you can say that like another thing was the thing that activated SegWit. There were several things involved. Yes. And so I was typing, I'm pulling up the newsletter that I wrote on Tuesday, July 18th, 2017. Uh, and one of the headlines in that newsletter is BIP91 to the rescue in, in uh, parentheses, hopefully. And so here's the way I understood it in the middle of July. And actually it's bringing some clarity. Funny enough, this is, uh, this is the same day that John McAfee said he was going to eat his dick. Um, I have that in the newsletter too. So with the possibility of locking in SegWit via BIP 141, uh, which required 95% minor consensus passing us. So at this point, 95% minor consensus would not reach via BIP 141. Our last hope of activating the protocol upgrade without a network split may be BIP 91, which is authored by James Hilliard. Uh, the BIP makes it so BIP 148 and SegWit 2X are compatible. 
In short, if 80% of the miners represented by a collective hash power signal for BIP91, SegWit will be activated and all blocks that are not signaling for SegWit activation will be rejected from the network. So that's the way I described it at the moment. So BIP148 right. would have right. caused- BIP91 basically reduced the threshold to uh, from 95% to 80%. Mm -hmm. And then also kind of made a, not technical, but a statement that this signaling also includes signaling for a hard fork. Now that hard fork never materialized. There were no developers interested in writing the code for that. Um, and even if someone had written the code for it, it, it probably wouldn't have, would have gotten laughed out of the room. Um, but that part was basically ignored after the fact. Yeah. It's cool having this like little, little historical journal post. Yeah. So James Hilliard came, I, that is like bit 91 was sort of like yeah. the all right guys, let's not split. Like, yeah, let's, let's compromise it's, here. It's, it's terrible for all of us if we split. This here is a thing that we can do where both sides get to claim they won. You know, the, the UASF people get to scream about how UASF locked in on this date. The miners and business and large pool operators get to talk about how they successfully activated uh, SegWit 2X. And at the end of the day, SegWit will be activated in a way that's compatible with every node that currently is sitting on the network and we can all go about our lives and have one Bitcoin. Yes. And miners were crucial in this. You needed 80% of miner signaling. And that's, yes. Yeah, so right. Because with all of these kind of really compressed timelines, you can't, I mean, <laughs> the, the UASF BIP 148 crowd was, was suggesting they could kind of activate something in a really compressed timeline, but you can't get any material amount of nodes upgraded. And really the only thing you can do is you can say like, we're gonna get miners to enforce these rules. And uh, at least as long as they're enforcing them, they're basically the rules of the network and we'll get nodes to upgrade over time to, to enforce them. Yes. It was a hairy situation back then, freaks, if you weren't around. Very it was stressful. So hairy. Oh yeah, there, were, there was some hair loss. <laughs> definitely some hair loss due to uh, some stress. I've lost you know, the, a lot. like president effect when you compare a president's photo when they start their term and when they end and they start well these days not so much but they used to start and they didn't have gray hair and then they always ended with gray hair and they always looked about 20 years older even though it had only been eight yeah yeah except over the course of one year yes obama's was pretty drastic that that, that particular yeah. oh, presidential yeah. run he obama had. looks about 20 years older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no it is uh yeah, no, it's good. I'm, I'm loving that we're rehashing this. It's like jogging memories and going back through old newsletters now. It is like this was like just like a daily update. So yeah, BIP91, shout out to James Hillard. Um, yeah. For, for yeah. pushing this forward, like it arguably prevented a network split. And so, yeah, like, it, like, I, like I think I, like even myself personally, like I think, in the years that have come to past, I've some somehow whitewashed my own memory and thought that Bit One Forty Eight was uh, was like the driving factor for actually activating and, it, but it, right. it acted it, more as like an influence that pressured other activations. Right, it, it was definitely a very successful pressure campaign. Um, yeah. it, it's you know if if you want to if you want to argue that it really kind of activate that that kind of thing activates, you really have to kind of make a market analysis and have some evidence that like the other token is going to be completely worthless and thus our 
uh, flag day activation and our kind of splitting off is going to be the only thing with value and that's the only thing with hash power and the only thing with ex exchanges care about and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and that just didn't exist then. So it's, it's just kind of a, it, you know, if you want to if you want to assign blame for what really succeeded and what really activated Segwit, you would really have to have visibility into how things would have gone had the various splits happened, and we just don't. Um, and so it's you know there's a lot of things that came together and a lot of things that had an impact, but it it's just it's impossible to say what what did it, you know. Yeah. No, like you said, it's actually now that I'm refreshing my memory around this that was like <clears throat> pretty much the consensus right after is like yeah, both sides can say they won um everybody can be happy why are you worried about this yeah <laughs> yeah so that's that's you know rehashing old history is fun well okay actually for most of us it's miserable because that was a pretty pretty stressful time um but it, it is important i think to take away the right conclusion right because uh, in the discussion of Taproot, uh, you know, Taproot, it's not even as, you know, it's not even as many voices in it as Segwit. It's, yeah, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. It's very, very well designed, maybe but too well designed sometimes. Um, you know, a lot of effort has gone into it. And, it, and I think importantly, you know, Optech has done some good work on reaching out to businesses and chatting with businesses about the design and making sure uh, that, you know, these large industry players who are using Bitcoin are aware of it and, and kind of know about it. Um, and also, you know, a lot of the community. So, you know, the actual kind of core consensus bits of Taproot are great. No one has anything bad to say, basically. Um, and, and, you know, cool, let's do it, right? Uh, and so I think this is, you know, the community is kind of, all taken that a little bit to heart and is like, cool, let's go. Let's let's do it. Let's turn it on. The how to turn it on is sadly, maybe, also just as important as the actual design, right? Because at the end of the day, you have to write consensus level code, right? Code that describes how Bitcoin functions as a part of the activation method, right? The activation method of a soft fork is consensus is a consensus change in and of itself it also you know carries you know it it's, describes a consensus change that activates this much larger consensus change but it describes a consensus change so it needs just as much care as anything else and you know i guess kind of to wax a little more philosophically bitcoin in my view has you know most Bitcoiners and, and certainly a lot of people have invested in Bitcoin because it represents this conservative system that's very, you know, uh, that you can depend on, that exists, that provides you hopefully censorship resistant uh, value transfer and value storage and payments and whatever in a way that you can depend on, you know, if you're using it in some specific way today, you're going to be able to use it in that specific way in five years and 10 years, right? That the consensus system that is Bitcoin, that the technical features available to you in Bitcoin continue to exist in, you know, roughly the same way, or at least a compatible way as they exist today in the long run, right? And that your use case for Bitcoin, that your 
you know, there's, there's a million use cases for Bitcoin, whether you're hedging against Fed printing too much money and you think hyperinflation is happening or whether you're in Venezuela and hyperinflation is happening or whether you're in Nigeria and you want to accept uh, donations because you want to protest against the government being sketchy or you are in Russia or whatever, you know, there's, there's a million reasons you care about Bitcoin and you have a use for it. If you have something like that, Bitcoin should continue to serve you, right? That you you should be able to invest in and use Bitcoin and invest time into building Bitcoin-based solutions under the, you know, feeling safe and secure that it will continue to exist as it exists today. And that, you know, no one's going to come in and change it out from under you or decide to change the cap and print more Bitcoin uh, because that will help certain users but hurt certain other users. Um, or no one's going to come and out from under you change even the, you know, change materially change the fact that there's like transaction fees because you've invested a ton of money into buying a mining farm, you know? Um, so all of these, you know, I think that's kind of at the end of the day, because there are so many different legitimate, perfectly valid use cases for Bitcoin, we as a community have to make sure that changes happen in such a way that Bitcoin continues to work for all of those use cases, basically. And so like kind of, that's always been my theory on, on Softworks. And I wrote a whole long kind of uh, blog post right after the Segwit2x stuff blew up. Um, I can, this was like, it was 28th. Oh, actually that was right after the Segwit stuff blew up. Uh, it was 28th of February, 2017. On, on bluemat.bitcoin.ninja. It's still actually the last blog post I wrote. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've written said. I like you writing code um, instead of blog posts. It's better time yeah, spent. Yeah, it's probably, yeah, probably much better time spent. But I, I have this whole long thing where I kind of wax philosophically about like, okay, there's like these different use cases of Bitcoin and that's important. And that's, that's what's so cool about Bitcoin is that, you know, I have my interest in Bitcoin and you have your interest in Bitcoin and, and they're, they're fairly different. Like we care about Bitcoin for fairly different reasons. I mean, obviously it overlaps a lot, but, but certainly I, I care about Bitcoin for many different reasons than a lot of other Bitcoiners. And, and there's some, some people down the street here in New York City who are trading Bitcoin and, and who are Bitcoiners. They care about using Bitcoin as a hedge against the Fed or whatever monetary policy or whatever, you know, crazy market things. And those are still Bitcoiners, even though they are never on Bitcoin Twitter and they don't relate to, but they have a use for Bitcoin and we should make sure that that exists and that that, uh, that, that use case is still supported. So all kind of all that to say, if, if we take this as kind of like an important key value proposition of, of Bitcoin is that, that there are so many value propositions and that we care about all of them, um, then, then we really have to be very, very careful about not just the consensus changes we make, you know, Taproot is really carefully done. It doesn't, uh, and most importantly, it doesn't, if you don't want to use it, there's not really any reason to care about it. It's not going to negatively impact you. Um, maybe fees would drop a little bit, but not probably not a lot. Um, but, but like, you know, there's just not really any reason to worry about it if you don't want to use it. But also, and more importantly, that the kind of activation method sets the stage for how we activate softworks, right? That, that activation methods themselves describe a set of rules technically and in code, but also socially of what bar we hold changes to. And, 
you know, there's been a lot of, because Taproot's kind of this thing that's been going for a while, it's been cooking forever and it's, you know, super carefully designed and it's like, you know, really well, well implemented and there's code and it's great and like ready to go, whatever. It was a lot of people who were kind of like, let's just do it. Last time we did this like UASF thing, you know, they kind of view history through some rose colored glasses maybe. Um, and, and, and they're just like, let's just do it. We, we've got this thing, let's just turn it on. Uh, the last UASF kind of came on and, and activated in like a few weeks. Uh, let's just do it, we got this. Um, and I think that does Bitcoin a disservice, right? And I think that if our approach to changes is that we, as a very small community of people on Twitter or whatever, just ship code that turns on a soft fork, whether the network is fully upgraded to it, whether we've actually made sure that we've talked to as broad a community as we can, um, that that just doesn't set Bitcoin up for a win, right? It doesn't set Bitcoin up to be this conservative, careful thing that changes only when people aren't going to be hugely negatively impacted by the change. And, and most importantly, you know, you have this like flag day activations in general and, and USF is kind of another term for it, the more, the, the more cool term now, um, you know, they, they don't, they don't have this like back out. They, they're, here's a release of Bitcoin core with the change in it. We've shipped it and the change is going to happen in a year, six months, whatever, uh, and that's it, right? And and I don't understand how that, that doesn't send a good image of Bitcoin to anyone, right? No one wants a Bitcoin where a release of Bitcoin core decides the consensus rules in and of itself. Um, that, you know, developers shouldn't be deciding these things. And sure, it's the case that, you know, the developers, you know, Bitcoin Core could release software and people could look at it and say, I'm not going to run that because uh, there's some software I am not signing up for. But, uh, you know, certainly like in the case of Taproot, that's probably not going to happen because it's great. The change is great. No, why? Why would we? Um, <laughs> why would we not upgrade to it? Um, but that's also the way that the community learns how changes should be made, right? So you have this taproot thing, it's great. It's in this release of Bitcoin core, it's got a flag day activation, release of Bitcoin core happens. And now in a year, ta uh, taproot turns on and that's it. Um, how, how can someone who is just passively observing Bitcoin, you know, maybe they care about Bitcoin, but they don't probably don't have the time to actively participate in the conversations on Twitter or Clubhouse or Reddit or what have you, um, how can they take away a message from that? Anything other than Bitcoin core decides consensus and maybe some small group of users. And I, I, I don't, you know, that that's like, it is a perfectly reasonable conclusion based on just looking at that. Now there's many ways to solve it. Don't get me wrong. Flag days aren't like inherently evil. We can't never do flag days. Um, but, you know, it needs a resolution in some way, right? And it needs to be very clear that so much work has been done, right? A, a, this passive observer who maybe in the future will be a Bitcoiner, 
uh, who's learning about how changes to Bitcoin get made, shouldn't be bombarded with people on Twitter saying, yes, we're activating SegWit, fuck miners, right? Like I've seen a lot of people recently on Twitter and wherever talking about how basically UASF is good because it like beats miners over the head and tells them that they have no control. And you know, like it's just not, it's not useful, right? Like uh, miners are in fact a part of the Bitcoin community, also pools. I mean, no more so than anyone else, no more so than any other large business that's kind of bet, uh, made up of a bunch of people who bet their careers on Bitcoin. Um, and, and they should be treated as, as valued parts of the community, no more or less so than anyone else. Certainly, you know, if you have, as was the case with Segwit, one large company or one large pool that's probably acting in bad faith and trying to block a consensus change that you otherwise fairly broadly agreed to, um, they should be ignored and overruled. But that's, you know, that shouldn't be our kind of first go-to is like, let's just do this flag day. And also because flag days have a lot of other technical risks, right? Like talked about when we were talking about UASF and, and BIP-148, especially because of the timeline, if you don't have really broad node upgrades, both on the mining pool level uh, and just across the network, and, and most importantly, kind of on, on the transactor level of people who's actually making transactions, enforcing these new rules by the time the flag day happens, you can very easily end up in cases where you have forks and maybe uh, light clients or maybe people who forgot to upgrade or maybe like forgot one of their nodes didn't upgrade or whatever might get double spent, right? And like you just, you, you don't want to risk that on the Bitcoin network. It doesn't make sense to risk that on the Bitcoin network unless you really, really have to, unless there's really this case of like, here's a mining pool that's acting clearly in bad faith and they need to be overruled. And it's very clear to all involved, like it's blown up into this whole big drama across the Bitcoin network, um, across the Bitcoin community. And thus everyone is painfully aware of where all the sides are and how different people feel. Um, and in that case, you know, fine, whatever. But otherwise, you know, you risk, and then we saw this in very related circumstances, but not quite the same as a flag. They answered, it wasn't a flag. It was actually a BIP9 activation, but similar circumstances with um, the, oh, what was the, the, the soft fork activation where there was a fork and there was a several block fork that was invalid, invalid blocks, but that light clients and various mining pools extended uh, or flight clients would have accepted payments on various mining pools extended this invalid chain. That was like right? March 2013, so, right? It was a ways before. So I don't think it was that far back, but no, March 2013 was it was a different bug. Um, it was only a year or two before SegWit. So March 2013 was a flag day soft fork. Caused the that, chain there were, that, that was a separate issue. Okay. Uh, there was one a little later. In any case, you can have, so you can have these flag days, you know, flag days require a much higher level of making sure everyone is upgraded than these kind of minor readiness signaling softworks where you take advantage of like, you know, okay, softworks really activate when everyone on the network is upgraded, but that doesn't mean we can't de-risk the possibility of, of forks, right? And we should certainly as much as we can de-risk the possibility that there exists two chains that some people 
who are running late clients might be on one chain and get double spent or what have you. Um, and, and a great way to do that is to say, we're going to make sure that almost all the hash power is kind of ready and, and running new code. Um, and version bits is kind of only okay for that, but, but it represents that, right? It represents miners indicating that they're ready and running the code. Um, so there's, so, you know, for, so for flag data, there's technical risk. Um, I, I think there's really high social risk of kind of the culture around Bitcoin changes and holding ourselves to a high bar. Um, and a lot of that's, you know, obviously a lot, you know, some of it's technical, but a lot of it's the, the discourse and the discourse around doing a UASF or a flag day soft fork activation for Taproot is just, in my view, really negative, right? Because it's, it's people saying, we're just going to do it and we're going to activate it. And that's just how it's going to be. And that to me sounds like New York agreement, Segwit2x. Uh, it's a broader set of people. It was planned in public instead of in private. Sure. And that's great. Uh, and it's, that's an improvement, but it's still this kind of discourse that just sets Bitcoin up for just not being this community that takes itself very seriously and is very careful. Yeah, I can certainly see that, right? Like, and I guess for this particular situation, with Taproot, Schnorr, people have been eagerly awaiting this. And I guess it's just trying to find that balance between urgency and, and complacency, right? And, right, and, right. And it's it, It's totally understandable. Yeah. And it's, no, it's I, understandable, I, you know, it's just been forever, right? Yeah, and like many conversations with you and others, right? Like precedents matter. And we should be thinking about precedents that, that are set. And like, do we, like, and again, like, are these nuclear options, do they even need to be put on the table yet? Right, right. And, I'm, and I'm really afraid of kind of this normalization of them, right? That, like, yes. There exist options where we can just go to a full-on market referendum and say, here's two different softwares. Um, they're going to split into two different chains at this date. And we think that the market is going to strongly prefer to stay cohesive because that's how everyone maximizes their value. And here's a, the two chains, everyone figure it out and let the market decide. We can do that. That's an option. And that's basically what, what happened with the Segwit2x and what might've happened with kind of UASF and BIP148 had it had the, the two sides not come together in a, in a more technical way. Um, but like that's such a mess. I mean, it's a mess for everyone. No one holding Bitcoin going into the Segwit activation deadline and the UASF activation timeline and these things was super comfortable. You know, I went into the office at I think it was like 11 p.m. midnight, right around, right before it was going to activate and planned on staying up all night just to make sure something didn't catch fire, right? Like, and then, and then a lot of every exchange had people doing that. Every, you know, everyone who was meaningfully transacting paused transactions. Like we shouldn't have to do that for, you know, and, and these things. And again, there's technical reasons for it and there's social reasons for it, but there's technical reasons for it. We can de-risk those technical reasons. So why are we putting these things on the table? So let's describe the table right now for Taproot. What's it looking like? So, I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> I've taken some time off from some of those discussions because I got a little frustrated. 
Um, but, uh, you know, my understanding is that, it, you know, it's kind of come around. I think the folks working on it are, are you know, there's kind of the, the broad Twitter universe of people who are regularly commenting. And then there's some public uh, discussions that are, are a little more structured that some people have put together. And I think those public discussions that are more structured kind of come around to the, you know, the idea that basically like, yeah, there's, there's some risk in doing these flag day activations. I think the the latest terminology that you might see is BIP8 in parentheses true, which is just a flag day. Uh, mm -hmm. There's some other technical features, but it's largely a, a flag day activation um, where, you know, people like there's some technical issue or there's some technical risks with this. And most importantly, there's, there's no one against this thing. Mining pools have even started signaling that they're in favor of it, they're ready for it. So like, I, why are we, you know, having these debates, let's just do uh, kind of something more akin to BIP9, but, but with some of the technical nuance issues fixed uh, that, that you might now see uh, referred to as BIP8 in parentheses, false. Um, and, you know, I think people kind of, especially because it's pretty clear that there's not gonna be any mining pools that try to play shenanigans to try to block it for their own personal reasons. Um, I think people have come around to that as probably the, the approach. Um, I, I still remain very worried that we're normalizing these things. We're normalizing a discourse around changes that is, we're just gonna do it. We're normalizing a discourse around, or an activation around changes where in the same, look, it's in the same bit that described the last activation method to describe how we do a, a flag day activation that just forces, not only, not only forces a consensus change, but forces miners to indicate what is in their view, indicate preference for this consensus change, right? So just kind of to slap them in the face while we're at it, right? Um, these designs that just kind of are, are you know, people are legitimately frustrated for miners still after years since 2017, since the SegWit mess, um, as they should be, right? People well, should be frustrated with miners for that, or mining pools like, specifically. But it's not worth by Jihad, he's like gone, right? Like, yeah, I mean, he F2 got pushed pool, out. yeah, and it largely was. F2 pool had some fuckery, it's like switching BIP9 off and on, and like confusing people with their signaling but like outside of that like the, the only hostile miner that i can recall again my memory could be fuzzy a lot of concussions freaks was like <laughs> bitmain being driven by jihan which was who was being yeah driven yeah by Ego at the end of the day. he's gone right yeah he's gotten pushed out because he bet the company on on bcash and, and that didn't go very well um yeah uh, but but yeah i mean so so there's just not you know, it, it should, be, should be focused on healing and doing the best and most careful design. And I, and I think it's also important kind of to, to talk up and realize how much work has gone on in the background that's, I think, critical for consensus changes and should be critical for consensus changes in the future. Really been sufficiently talked up or publicized, right? Like there were, a new, there were a number of meetings driven by the, the Bitcoin Optech folks um, between 
large businesses, just talking about all the technical details of, of Taproot, really getting into the nitty gritty and saying like, here's the proposed change. You're a big user of Bitcoin. What do you think? Can you like, are you happy with this? Are there some issues with it that maybe impact you in some way? Um, are there, you know, can you integrate this? Are you excited about this? Is this interesting? All these kinds of things. Um, obviously it's, it's been publicly decided at this point for years, it's been maybe a, a little bit of a slower process for various reasons. Um, but, you know, these things happened in a way that, that, you know, Bitcoin has really grown up because of work by really a few people on the, the optic group. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that should be the face of Bitcoin consensus changes, not the kind of debates over um, specific activation methods and, and people just saying, we need to like force miners to signal at the end of a year because like, that's how we get this quicker. Um, the face really needs to be, look at all the work some of these developers put in, um, you know, people at Chaincode and the Optech group and, uh, you know, Bitcoin core contributors funded at this point by various groups, um, all the work they put into making sure that this is really carefully designed and talking to everyone they could and making sure that the, you know, no one in the community is going to be kind of negatively impacted by this and that it's going to help, you know, really help some stuff like Lightning and like some other, uh, other systems and then going ahead with it, right? That, that needs to be the face of consensus changes. Yeah, no, like to, to like put forth the user activated soft fork argument for this particular case. Again, like I don't think it's going to get to that point. I don't think it needs to. I don't think it should again because of precedence. But I think again, uh, focusing on the scars from Segwit, Segwit 2x, that battle, it, there does seem to be a bit of apprehension from a large part of the community, the developer community to put forth and act like an actual activation path and, and people are like, all right, like who's going to like, who's going to actually like put something forward. And I guess the UASF crowd is like, all right, if nobody's going to do it, we can do it. And this is the way we, we think is best to do it. Like, cause we want this, which, yeah, you know, you know I, I think there's, and it's not, some it's folks... not like a rush to get it. It's like, and this is sort of a rush to get it, but it's also like, okay, do we have to put, this ball in the motion. Yeah, it's been years. It's like when nothing's really happening. What's going on? Like, not so much a rush is like. Well, it'd be nice to get it eventually. <laughs> so you know, I, I can't. You know, I, I obviously can't fault that argument. Um, there's, you know, I think there's there's a number of folks, or there's at least some folks who worked on Taproot who who just don't have any desire to work on activation mechanisms because of basically of, of SegWit, the kind of mess of the activation debate there. And, and because activation mechanisms in Bitcoin really like, there's no good answer, right? Like the, the right answer is that we find a way to have changes only activate once it's clear that no one in the community is gonna be negatively impacted, but that the changes must not be blocked by someone who's saying they're gonna be negatively impacted when they're not like, you know, there's no like perfect technical solution to that. There's not like a way to capture that. 
And so it is ultimately a little subjective. Um, and so there's, there's some folks who kind of just don't want to work on that kind of stuff. Um, there are folks who, who do want to work on that kind of stuff. And so there's kind of, you know, some, uh, yeah, so there's, so I think that that conversation got started maybe only, um, so I kind of kickstarted it, but then immediately stopped working on it. I feel like it was like this time um, last year, right? I think something around that. Um, let me, what's your email? Search Marty's band again. Ah, uh, here we go. Yes. So, so there's an email on January 10th of last year, um, describing kind of my requirement or what I think are kind of good requirements to have for good technical requirements to have for a, for an activation method, um, and kind of kickstarted a little bit of a discussion. I got some responses, not from many people. Um, but yeah, so that discussion only kind of started around then. And then I think for a while, there were only a few people involved in it. And then kind of more recently, more developers have gotten involved in those discussions. Um, uh, thanks to like kind of Anthony Towns and a few other people for, for leading the charge a little on that. Um, and so it, it's it's been a slow process and doubly so because there is a lot of kind of acrimony and, and, and you know, over time, no one's really wanted to talk about SegWit and that mess because it, it was a painful time for a lot of people. And so I think over time, different people have started remembering it slightly different. It's been three years. That's, you know, normal thing for human brains to do. Um, and so I think, once that conversation kind of got started, I quickly realized, and I think a few other people realized that there's some very, people are on some very different pages in terms of kind of how software should even, you know, how we should think about it. Um, and so, you know, it's, yeah, it's taken time, but it, it sounds like there's kind of a little more agreement, there's a little more kind of like, well, look, there's a debate over whether we should do flag days. So maybe if we just do like, and it looks like it won't even be an issue. So maybe we should just do a normal, like 95% minor readiness signaling thing. And like, we'll do that. And if it doesn't work out, we can revisit it and we'll do like a flag day, fine, whatever. But like, let's just do that because, you know, there's not, not many people are gonna say like, that's bad. They're just gonna say they'd rather do a flag day, you know, maybe. Um, there, well, there, there are some, you know, there's some legitimate complaints about precedent on the other side saying that, you know, this minor readiness signaling should not be viewed as a vote for or against uh, a consensus change, right? The consensus changes aren't decided by minors and that there is a uh, issue with setting precedent that minors decide consensus changes based on this signaling mechanism. And that's, a very valid point. And so I think these kind of two opposite points about uh, the different uh, kind of options on the table here, kind of flag the UASF or not, you know, both have interesting points about drop precedent drawbacks on the other side. And thus it's just been a long conversation of hashing it out, I think. Yeah. I'm I'm pulling up, the, and that's uh, to be expected. But yeah, yeah. But it's good to see like people meeting on RIC now. There's another meeting next Wednesday on IRC about it. Um, or yeah, or Thursday maybe. I'm pulling up Michael Folkson's notes from from the first IRC meeting. 
uh, like overwhelming consensus, one year's correct timeout period, unanimous support for Bitbait false, except for uh, Luke Tasher. Um, his, his words, not mine. Uh, and no decision to, uh, on start time. The two months was done for segment, and that didn't seem too objectionable. So it's like good conversation. It seems like, yeah, uh, at least it seems like Michael's basically notes. coming. Yeah, so I just have Michael's notes as well, but it seems like basically people are kind of coming around to like just do the minor readiness signaling thing, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, it's important to think about this precedent for you because I and I, I, that's why I love having you on, Matt, because you're one of the most adversarial thinkers I've met in this space. And I do think people, especially people get very high time preference about this stuff. Like I want Schnorr and Papert as well, but again, precedents matter. And we throw the right. fact that precedents matter at, at other projects that we like to critique. And it would be a bit hypocritical if, if we didn't exercise um, uh, this type of caution and, and patience for a, a massive upgrade, right? Like arguably, you think this is- Yeah, and I mean, segue? it's not, well, in terms of code, no. In terms of cryptographic changes, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, also a big upgrade. In terms of kind of new things you can do with it, debatable, um, kind of could go, you could argue either way. But, you know, it's it's big, but it's also not, going to make or break Bitcoin. You know, it, it's it's big. It's going to improve privacy on Lightning. It's going to improve multi-sig uh, ability for people to use multi-sig significantly, especially larger multi-sig policies. It's going to improve over time, improve privacy on, on Bitcoin uh, on, on chain. Um, but like all of these things are like and important and cool and awesome, but also not going to make or break Bitcoin. But in my view, how the community views changes and how the change process happens is going to make or break Bitcoin. I can agree there, right? It's a slippery slope. Maybe you effectively do yeah. like a flag day soft fork this time around, but then it's just jammed down people's throats at some point in the future. Right, this. and especially the kind of like SegWit, you know, so... You know, I, I think the the pro UASF argument would be that, every, you know, largely SegWit didn't have any material uh, detractors who would be harmed by SegWit directly, um, and thus UASF was okay that it kind of got jammed through in like a few in like a month or two or something. Um, but also UASF was itself a change of a was the consensus change on its own, and so still here's like. You know, people are running around today holding up a consensus change that was incredibly rushed. You know, it was about as rushed, if not more, than the Segway2x and New York Agreement. Um, that, you know, here's code and here's binaries, run it, and we're going to create our own chain and, and fork off in three weeks or two months or whatever it was. You know, that's that's also this like really heavy risk. And people are holding that up as kind of a, a gold standard for how we should think about doing activations of Bitcoin. And that worries me. I appreciate that you're worried. Somebody's got to worry about this shit. <sighs> I'm not, I mean, I think this is gonna, I think 
sanity is going to prevail here. Hopefully patience yeah. prevails. I know. <laughs> the good news is at the end of the day, I think a lot of, it is true, you know, the market isn't always right, but it is true that the, that people in Bitcoin generally are at least vaguely aware that if they screw Bitcoin up, then the market's going to punish them eventually. And that, that kind of, there are certain things about Bitcoin that, that kind of must not go wrong in order for its value to remain. And that above all else, people understand because a lot of people have you know, millions and millions invested in Bitcoin, whether in their business or personally. 1.5 billion for Tesla. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, not right. Like, oh boy. Like the, the severity and the, the importance of making sure that this network survives in the perpetuity is, is so grave that caution should be, should not be thrown to the wind. Um, precedent yeah. should, should be uh, very seriously considered. And you should lower your time preference. But with that being said, I'm very optimistic about what's been going on recently. Like these IRC meetings. Yeah. Like, it seems like there's a bit more consensus forming, which is yeah. really good. Yeah. And I think I could, like, let's give a shout out to, to the pools to pool in. Um, I think that may have sort of given confidence for, for some in the developer community to begin having these types mm-hmm. of conversations and sticking their neck out with specific activation paths. And, um, yeah. 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 And it's, I was going to say, obviously, you have users on Twitter and other platforms uh, signaling that they want to use some of the functionalities that would be provided by by this upgrade. So everybody's doing. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see it more from the business community as well. But but all that stuff's really great to see, right? And you see kind of the kind of at least during the the Segwit debacle, the, the three or four main groups, right? You've got kind of business community, you've got pools and miners, you've got individual users, and you've got developers. And like as much as we can get all four of those groups to be vocal that a change is acceptable and meets their requirements and you know maybe it's useful to them maybe it's not but at least it's acceptable and not not a negative to them um the better off we will be for future changes you know even if this change is is minor and people don't don't really need to care about it um or a lot of people don't really need to care about it having them say yeah, that chain, I looked at it and I don't care about it, is great. It's a great outcome. At the end of the day, they don't have to use it if they don't want to, correct? It's all backwards compatible. Right, right. And that, that the change was is, is made very carefully to make sure, you know, it's not risking other people's coins with crazy new cryptographic assumptions. It's not, um, not going to like massively change the market dynamics of Bitcoin or the fee market or whatever. You know, all these things are like, it's, it's pretty straight, straight up and down backwards compatible. If you use it, you use it. If you don't, you don't care or kind of change. Um, and, and it's important that that's stated as broadly as it can be, right? That, that it's, that that is the gold standard for Bitcoin changes and that that's how Bitcoin changes should look. Yeah. Ah, Bitcoin is beautiful. It's like, feels weird. Maybe people will like be affected by this conversation. That'll have like a little effect on whether or not this gets activated. Um, Hopefully. Hopefully. You know, one thing I was stupid question for from a dumb dunce like me. So the 
the taproot code has officially been merged into core, right? The version 0.21.0. Like, what is the technical <laughs> thing that happens that takes it from being merged to being activated and used? Like, the code's in the code base. Right. So, technically. Right, so you can have code that, that there's no way to reach the code on mainnet. Okay. Um, that a code can't, can't be used on mainnet, but once there is an activation method, you know, so that, that code the code is there, but for all intents and purposes, it's not part of the Bitcoin consensus, or at least not the mainnet Bitcoin consensus protocol. Um, once there is an activation method, and once there is a, a reach a way to reach that code in mainnet Bitcoin, then that would be kind of a you know that that, that code is now open it up yeah. merged and activated and whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that was like one of the questions been lingering in my mind for the last year because I'm like it's merged, but you can't use it. Um... No, I like, and I, I'm very pumped that people can use it on Signet, though. Correct. So, like, you know, like maybe businesses can mess around with some proof of concepts to to be convinced uh, to or to not support this. Right. That people can use it. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's the other reason to to merge it first, right? Um, and that's historically in in Bitcoin Core, it's always been you know you you merge the the bulk of the code changes uh, in in a major release, and that that you know, maybe you can use it on testnet or signet or whatever on your own reg test networks. Um, you can test it out, you can play with it, you can use it in, you know, in a live system. Um, and then the actual activation parameters, in essence, the formal proposal of this fork from the Bitcoin Core developer group uh, community takes the form of, of its own minor release version that does nothing. I mean, maybe it fixes a few minor bugs, but in large part, it just is a proposal and it just contains those kind of activation parameters to make a cohesive software change. And here, like here's a, a series of consensus changes in code that can be reached on mainnet in a version of Bitcoin core, you can run this version or you can stand the previous version. There's little code changes. There's not like a lot of new features you're missing out on by running this new version. Um, you just run this version and now you're on the new fork or now you're on the new Hopefully, new software activation rules will will kick in. Oh yeah, I learned a lot today. I always learn a lot when I talk to you, Matt. We got a little bit more fun. to talk about, though. How how are things going with the LDK? Things are going great. Yeah. So so we so I've been working for those of you who aren't aware um, for a few years now, kind of building out a, a Lightning library. Right. So not 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 yet another lightning node, you know, the LND and, and C lightning and, and whatever were, were great. Uh, a lot of people use them, a lot of people are really happy with them. They're, they're robust, they're well-tested, got a lot of users. But what there isn't is kind of a, a library that lets you integrate lightning, integrate a lightning node into your project really tightly, right? Instead of like, well, I'm gonna like spawn LND and it's gonna run and it's gonna download the chain itself and have its own on-chain wallet. It's here is, a library, you integrate it, you plug in the chain and you plug in uh, on-chain keys and on-chain funds uh, to create channels. And then kind of you have a lightning node that's in your project, in your application. It's not some separate thing that you're controlling or talking to. Um, so I started that a few years ago, uh, about a year and change ago now, maybe a year and a half ago now, uh, Square hired a bunch of us at Square Crypto. Um, and after a bunch of back and forth, uh, that's 
the project we decided to work on. Uh, I wasn't actually the one who proposed it, but but I think we all kind of saw a lot of value for this potentially, especially in the domain of existing Bitcoin wallets that haven't integrated Lightning or existing Bitcoin applications that, that have wallets that haven't integrated Lightning and hopefully will in the future, but you know, you don't want to make them building a lightning node from scratch is a lot of work and making sure it handles every possible edge case is a lot, a lot of work. Um, and so, you know, we've got this, this thing that like lets you integrate lightning into your application. Uh, and that's, so I think everyone on the Square Crypto team looked at that and was like, actually this could have a big impact on Bitcoin always down the road. Uh, and so we kind of got started working on it. We're all, you know, the, the new folks were getting spun up on how all the, bits and pieces worked and then COVID hit and all of a sudden we weren't in the office together <laughs> and it slowed things down a little bit, but we spent the year really digging into what was there um, and cleaning up, you know, the, the core of the code was pretty great or it was pretty good, it works pretty well, it's super well tested. The actual APIs that it exposed were fine, but could use some work. Uh, so we spent the last year really kind of cleaning up those APIs, making it really easy to integrate. So instead of just having an API where you have to download the blockchain yourself, we have options. You can you can take it and you can say, yep, I want you to download the blockchain and here's where you get it from. And then I'm going to do my own on-chain wallet or you, vice versa. You can say, you know, you do that work and I'm going to, you know, so I have a bunch of different sample batteries and sample implementations of things. Um, so it's now not entirely a battery is not included lightning though. <laughs> it has some batteries in it. Um, and so we've cleaned that up a lot. Uh, we've spent a ton, a ton of time on building language binding so that you can use it uh, in different languages. So it's written in Rust uh, and that's great because we can compile it for hardware wallets or you could run it in a browser, but only if you call it from Rust. Um, and so we had to, we actually had to build our entirely own language bindings generation utility. Um, there's nothing out there as far as we were able to find that any way kind of is able to build, take an existing library uh, that has, you know, a complicated object-oriented uh, object semantics and just spit out language bindings in a bunch of different code, right? So kind of all the, the language binding stuff that exists is really all about like, okay, you have one simple function and you just want to like stub it out into a different language so that it's faster. Not like you have this whole library that has a bunch of different things and a bunch of different interactions and you want that in language binding. So we had to build top to bottom our own language bindings generation uh, stuff. So we've got that, we've got good C and C++ bindings if you wanna use it at a very low level. Um, we've got some Java bindings that people can use. Uh, we've got samples of using it in Swift um, and we're getting there on the JavaScript end. So you'll be able to call it directly from JavaScript in a web, web browser. Uh, if, you're awesome, if you want to run a lightning node in a web browser, I'm not sure why you would, but you can. Um, and so it's this really nicely cross-platform thing. So we've spent the last year building out language bindings um, and we're really kind of rounding the corner now. And we have what is a rather cohesive product. Uh, so it's lightningdevkit.org. If you're interested, join our Slack. You can, reach out to us and we're happy to kind of work closely with people. Um, we're an open source team hired to just kind of build this out. Uh, so we're happy to kind of help people out any way we can in terms of integrating and, and getting lightning in as many places as we can. Um, yeah, so it's, it's going great. And we've really kind of turned the corner on like having a cohesive 
thing that people can use now. So we're really happy with it. Hell yeah. I'm pumped to see that come out. Yeah. Cause it, it, I mean, if you freaks remember we had uh, Matt, it was just you and Val, right? Yeah. It was you, Val, yeah, it was just- me and Matt Adele on that episode, like describing what you guys were embarking on uh, attempting to attack this LDK project. So it was an incredible update. And I've actually uh, been learning a lot from Artique on, on, um, on clubhouse. He's like, fucking bench dude that dude like is smart as fuck <laughs> like <laughs> like you all are extremely smart but like the way he can describe the potential for the lightning network and and break down taproot and why that's important get into like the cryptography like point time lock crime tracks that's something i'm very excited about explain that for for people yeah. as well so yeah. big privacy improvement yeah yeah, it would be massive. Like rendezvous routing with PTLCs just seems like a, a game changer. Yeah, rendezvous routing is going to be, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's going to be some interesting trade-offs coming up in terms of how people do routing privacy trade-offs in Lightning. Um, and it's, I, I, if I'm honest, it does worry me a little bit because, you know, existing academic research already shows that Lightning today, the privacy against middle nodes inferring um who's sending money where is pretty weak mm-hmm. uh, they have a lot of visibility into what's going on so uh having taproot and snore specifically for point time lock contracts is going to improve that hopefully significantly uh, but there's a lot of other structural issues and then you know a lot of especially the mobile wallets like oftentimes right now calculating a route can take a little bit of time and also importantly, if you send a route and then it kind of fails halfway there, then you have to go calculate another route and then you got to send it again, send a payment. Um, and that can take take some latency on, on payment latency and payment latency, nobody wants payment latency. It really sucks. And like downloading the graph can take a little bit of time, especially like you're on a mobile phone, you like open the app and can't send for a minute while you like download the graph so you can calculate a route. Like, you know, all these kind of UX paper cuts. Um, and the, the way to solve them is take a, a privacy trade-off. Um, and so different routing methods are like having a server calculate route or having, you know, whatever. And so, you know, there's a lot of really exciting research there and a lot of really exciting kind of ways to do routing and rendezvous is really awesome. Rendezvous is less a trade-off as some of the other work. You know, rendezvous is great because you can do, um, you can have, payee privacy from the payer. So like the payer, basically you have hidden service privacy like Tor where the payer doesn't necessarily know where the money is ending up, uh, which is really huge. But you also have to have that uh, in a context where, um, you know, your routing algorithm considers privacy really carefully and, you know, you're not leaning too much on middle nodes to do a lot of your work for you. Um, So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see where all that where all that ends up. Yeah, and whether whether we can build a whether people can build a good enough UX on top of really private and privacy optimized lightning routing. I'm bullish on the lightning network. I know I'm a, a fanatic, but I think people are sleeping on it. I'm yeah, no, it it really it people are sleeping on it in part because you know it's not integrated anywhere. You know, so I think a lot of the Lightning folks uh, across different parts of the Lightning ecosystem are really excited this year, looking towards more exchange integration and uh, 
kind of institutional integration of Lightning, which hopefully is going to, you know, is going to take some some volume of transactions off the, off the blockchain itself, uh, give people some instant transacting ability. Um, and then hopefully that also translates a little bit into mobile wallets and getting Lightning. You know, it, it shouldn't be the case that you ever download a Bitcoin wallet that doesn't support Lightning, right? And that's where we are today is you download a Bitcoin wallet and probably it doesn't support Lightning, right? And that sucks. Or, or if it does, you know, there's a few wallets that have non-custodial Bitcoin wallet, but then custodial Lightning because the only good way to integrate Lightning today is custodial. Yeah. Right, yeah, like that better, shouldn't be the case. Yeah, and even better if you can abstract the two, you don't even know you're using Lightning versus the main chain for, right. for new users. Right, nor should you, nor should a user ever be aware of Lightning. They should just know that their payment cleared instantly. That's, right. that's what you should should have so so i'm really i'm really bullish on it uh that's obviously why i'm working on it full time but but also i'm i'm really bullish on integrations into existing bitcoin wallets and new bitcoin wallets that support it and really making sure you know today a lot of bitcoin stuff is really tightly integrated at the application level you know people aren't just like downloading and running bitcoin core and then using bitcoin core's wallet to power their big exchange right some yeah. people use Bitcoin Core, but most people don't use its wallet. Um, and that's basically, you know, the options for Lightning today is, you know, you can you can run C Lightning has a great plugin system. You can do a ton of hooking and editing it, but it's still like kind of downloading and running a binary. A little less so for LND. LND has a like you download Bitcoin Core and you get the RPC API, and that's what you have. Um, and it's great for many use cases. A lot of people use Bitcoin Core very successfully as a wallet on uh, their server, uh, whatever, and same for LND. Um, but it's just not, it's not going to get us there in terms of mobile wallets everywhere. And it's not going to get us there in terms of, you know, some of the, uh, yeah. So, so I'm really bullish on it. I, I hope that we can make a really positive impact on it too. Awesome. Well, thank you for all the work you do. Thank you for reaching out. Like I told you, like, you don't have to say thank you for having having you on you have a you have an open invite into perpetuity till till i croak or you croak um so where this podcast the, the, yeah well next time next time well i'll make you bribe me with beer and then i'll have to thank you for, for having yes me. yes we need to do that <laughs> i'll um i'll drive up for that um dude is there anything uh you want to you want to end this on any, any particular note or message I'm super pumped for Bitcoin. I'm super excited for it. I only worry about it because I love it. Well, I love you, Matt. Thank you for coming back on. Thank you for, it was a great conversation. It was a great, great history lesson, great perspective. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your night. And yeah, if there's anything else you ever want to talk about in the future, just let me know. Cheers. Peace and love, freaks. Take care.